Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the second day of July, 2022. I'm your host, Mark Call. The anniversary of the actual date when the miracle happened in Philadelphia in 1776, and in Congress assembled to the shock of almost everyone there, the vote to declare independence from Great Britain was unanimous. The rest, they say, is history, although sadly, most Americans are now woefully ignorant of it and no longer even understand why it was such a miracle much less what they were fighting for. Truths that were once unanimously called self-evident are now called, not just politically incorrect, but domestic terrorism, even to honestly talk about. We will do that here, though, because for quite a while now, your host has been talking about the satanic takeover, literally, of America with a K, and in the larger sense, of course, the whole world. It's no longer just communist. For years, people have talked about godless communism, but this has gone beyond godless. This is truly satanic, the worship of something antithetical to the God of the Bible, and they're not even hiding it anymore. But today, I want to begin by talking about the human side of totalitarianism, the American version, with a K, of the public-private partnership. If you have any understanding of economics, you know that that really is what fascism is all about, in addition to totalitarianism, the melding, the blurring of the lines to the point where there isn't one anymore between the public and the private. One hand washes the other, and the law is what they say it is. Nothing more, nothing less, and in so many cases, nothing at all. Last week, of course, we saw the Supreme Court take a couple of pretty decent-sized steps back towards the rule of law, and they got slapped down hard for it. Oh yeah, the communists are again talking about packing the court. Others have been doxing those who've read the Constitution, so they can continue to be threatened by rioters, arsonists, and of course, assassins. See, and that kind of makes the point, are those public or private threats? Or is it just that the private contractors know darn well that the public law enforcement will oh so conveniently look the other way? And meanwhile, the head of the so-called Department of Justice, or Just Us, and for those of you who've read Orwell's 1984, really, folks, it ought to be called the Ministry of Love. Most folks are familiar with the Ministry of Truth, but they haven't been paying attention to the really sinister agency that Orwell described. Merrick Garland has. And that evil agency has now been weaponized completely against what was once called the rule of law. Which takes us to where I want to begin today, the personal side of fascism, totalitarianism, and the fear element of, yes, now that we've weaponized the rule of law, it's fear that is our primary weapon. Not just fear of being ostracized for not taking your poison poke or wearing your mask, or even fear of losing your job, although we'll come back to that. It's fear of what might happen to you, and almost certainly will in the middle of the night, if you're not a good little slave. So let's start here. Last week, the Supreme Court released a decision just immediately before the overturn of Roe v. Wade called New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, Inc. v. Bruin, which essentially said, and I'm quoting from the majority opinion by Justice Clarence Thomas, New York's proper cause requirement, as they put it, violates the 14th Amendment by preventing law-abiding citizens with ordinary self-defense needs from exercising their Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms in public for self-defense. So basically, the Supreme Court finally realized that for over a century, the People's Republic of New York has been infringing the living you-know-what out of the once constitutionally protected right to keep and bear arms. 
And what did the Communist Congress, including the so-called GOP-controlled but truly rhino Communist Senate, do immediately before the ink was even dry? Tell the American people, not only are you slaves, we will decide if we think you're sane, and if we don't, we'll take your property away. The hell with due process or even the concept of private property. And we don't need no stinking warrant either. Much less supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing, well, anything. If it looks like a gun to us, we'll just take it. Remember, even Trump sold out on this one. Hey, take the guns first, worry about due process later, he said. So take your Fourth Amendment and keep on shoving it. That abomination, of course, was promptly signed by the Biden puppet. And basically what they said is the rule of law is dead. Stick a fork in it. Stick a red flag in it in America with a K. Now, a quick aside here, folks. If you've watched in the past how these gang rapes of the Constitution and Bill of Rights are accomplished, you know several things are part of the consistent pattern. They're always called bipartisan. That means both wings of the same evil bird of prey are flapping right in unison. And they always have a name that's the exact opposite of what they really achieve. Like in this case, it's the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. And what that means is we're going to disarm you so we can kill you with impunity. And your communities won't be safer, but we'll sleep better at night. Knowing that the Department of Justice would never dare prosecute us, and you won't be able to do anything about that. And buried within this thing is the following bit of incredible, hard-to-swallow, unmistakable BS. There's a segment in here that actually purports to, quote, prevent any violation or infringement of the Constitution of the United States, including but not limited to the Bill of Rights. When, in point of fact, this whole abomination is nothing but exactly that. If you think about it, it's a lot like a rapist who says, I'm not only going to do what I'm going to do with your body. See this knife I've got to your throat? But I'm going to make you sign this disclaimer first saying that you really wanted it. Now, didn't you? Because you asked for it. I'm not infringing anything. And notice, folks, that the rapist would have a lot harder time doing that if you could actually say no and make it stick. I've said this before, but it certainly bears repeating. These red flag abominations are nothing more than Soviet-style laws that essentially say, hey, if you're not a party member, if you're not a good little slave of the communist state, well, then you must be insane. So we can do whatever we want to you because you're insane. You're a danger to yourself and others. It's an extreme risk protection order. You know that we want to send you to the gulag or take your guns. And we're working up to this. But the fact that you're a domestic terrorist a white supremacist, regardless of what color you actually are, or whatever we decide to call you, including conspiracy theorists, means you don't really have any rights until we say so, if we say so. And guess what? Once you're disarmed, we're not going to have to. By the way, did you take your poison poke? Now, the story that builds on that today comes from Art Moore at WorldNet Daily, and it says the two lawyers who successfully argue that landmark Supreme Court case affirming, yeah, imagine, didn't last long though, did it, a constitutional right to keep and bear arms and be armed outside the home have been forced out of their public-private connected, obviously, Washington, D.C., law firm sick. Amid pressure from clients and other attorneys, Kirkland and Ellis LLP will no longer handle any Second Amendment cases, as Politico has reported. And former Solicitor General Paul Clement and Aaron Murphy, who successfully argued that case before the Supreme Court in the New York Rifle and Pistol Association Inc. v. Bruin case, said that they were forced to resign. Quote, we were given a stark choice, either withdraw from ongoing representations or withdraw from the firm, said Clement in a statement reported by Politico. Anyone who knows our views regarding professional responsibility and client loyalty knows there was only one course open to us. We could not abandon ongoing representations 
temptations just because a client's position is unpopular in some circles, unquote. And if that doesn't sound a little bit Gestapo-like, folks, you probably haven't read your history. But don't worry, we'll come back to that in just a little while today. The announcement of the dropping of gun cases and the resignation of those responsible for actually pointing out what the Second Amendment still says took place on the very day the Supreme Court ruled 6-3 to to strike down New York's unconstitutional, not law, requiring any of their slaves who wish to obtain a concealed carry permit to demonstrate a proper purpose to dare to have weapons outside the home. And of course, they're not allowed to have weapons inside the home either, but that's another story. And Rollnet Daily notes here, folks, that this is the same attorney, Paul Clement, who one decade ago left Atlanta-based King and Spaulding after that firm distanced itself from his work to preserve the Defense of Marriage Act. And it sounds like what he said then is still apropos. I resign, he said then, out of the firmly held belief that representation should not be abandoned because the client's legal position is extremely unpopular in certain quarters. Defending unpopular clients is what lawyers do, unquote. But increasingly, that's no longer true in a public-private partnership-based, truly fascist America, where unpopular lawyers aren't allowed to have clients or employment, and probably pretty soon, well, you can see where this leads. When it comes to permits and infringements and other ways that it's obvious that the whole idea of shall not be infringed has been infringed beyond any comprehension, I guess we'd better go to the People's Republic of California for another poignant example. Although thankfully, at least so far, and unlike gun-free killing zones, this hasn't yet resulted in massive casualties. Where their Department of Just Us and their firearms dashboard portal went live on Monday, publicly accessible files that doxed all of the slaves who had asked for a permit to keep and bear arms in Los Angeles County. Almost 3,000 people, from a few peons to judges and custodial officers, probably some Hollywood bodyguards too, what do you bet, whose home addresses, dates of birth, and full names are now no longer private. Probably, folks, they should have known. But getting doxxed and having their firearms stolen by criminals, the kind that don't wear guns and badges, is the least of their problems because you can guess what's coming real soon, given the Biden regime. And if you can't, stay with us. This next item is one of those stories that says a whole heck of a lot more than just the headline. It comes from J.D. Hayes and Natural News. The headline puts it this way. The shooter at that oh-so-fortuitous gun-free killing zone mass murder in Uvalde, Texas, you know, the one that yet again allowed the regime to put another red flag wooden stake in the heart of the right to keep and bear arms, you can bet the CCP's laughing their head off about it. Could have been stopped in just three minutes, says a top Texas law enforcement official who called the massacre an abject failure on the part of the so-called law enforcement. Arguably, says your obviously, and you know the reason why, cynical host, just like it was supposed to be. Police officers initially responded to the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas, it begins, last month, and now they're being called out as cowards for their abject failure, he puts it in quotes, to more rapidly engage that 18-year-old shooter who, along with all the help that he so clearly in hindsight had, managed to massacre 19 fourth-grade children and two teachers in the pre-planned gun-free killing zone. As you probably know, recent reports say that Uvalde police, sick, and other first-in law enforcement officers, sick, waited more than an hour and 15 minutes before they engaged the uh, shooter at Robb Elementary School. Now the top Texas law enforcement official, Colonel Steve McCraw, head of the Texas Department of Public Safety, 
is adding fuel to the fire by saying that officers could have actually engaged with and stopped the 18-year-old gunman within minutes. Quote, there's compelling evidence that the law enforcement response to the attack at Robb Elementary was an abject failure and antithetical to everything we've learned over the last two decades since the Columbine massacre. Three minutes, he said, after the subject entered the West Building, there were a sufficient number of armed officers wearing body armor to isolate, distract, and neutralize the subject, unquote. And your host can't help but add, hey, if there'd just been one armed teacher there, it would have been done a hell of a lot faster than that. But that's, of course, why they pick disarmed, gun-free killing zones to execute, literally, the people and the rule of law. Continued Colonel McCraw, the only thing stopping the hallway of dedicated officers from entering rooms 111 and 112 was the on-scene commander who decided to place the lives of officers before the lives of children, unquote. No, I have to disagree here. In fact, it was tyranny, folks, and the intent to do exactly what the damnable traitors in the Congress and the White House did right after they were so successful in pulling it off. What stopped the officers from doing their job was tyranny and the intent to impose it on a dumbed-down and now increasingly disarmed American populace. With all that news on the table today, I do think it's really important to take a look back at history. One of the things your host has talked about for years is the fact that the United States seems to be repeating most, but not quite all, of the history of the rise of Hitler and Nazi Germany. They called it the Third Reich. Today, we're arguably seeing the Fourth. It looks like Hitlery and those who follow in those same footsteps have been taking some lessons, not only from the pages of George Orwell and Adolf Hitler, one obvious example, the big lie from Mein Kampf, but mistakes of the past and are doing a, well, if you want to put it this way, better job of putting their satanic system in place and eliminating all the opposition even more effectively than some of the world's most infamous tyrants. But still, let's take a look back at some of the history of the Gestapo, SS, or Scheutstaffel, and the rise of the Nazi police state. A lot of this information comes from the Holocaust Encyclopedia and some other historic sources, but it basically says that an important tool of Nazi terror was the so-called protective squad. Notice how they even use the modern liberal terminology of calling something the exact opposite of what it is. The SS began as a special guard for Adolf Hitler and other party leaders, whose black-shirted SS members formed a smaller elite group, and the members also served as auxiliary policemen, and later... What else? Concentration camp guards. Eventually, even overshadowing the stormtroopers, or SA in importance, the SS became, after 1934, the private army. There's your public-private partnership, folks, of the Nazi party. And although the Gestapo is generally associated with SS leader Heinrich Himmler, appointed by Hitler in June of 1936 to the position, it was actually founded by Hermann Göring in April 1933. If you're looking for a parallel, think about how J. Edgar Hoover built the FBI and turned it into something extra-constitutional, while others have now weaponized it way, way beyond even that. It took a Janet Reno to use the FBI to execute a church full of people in Waco, Texas, and then help cover up the bombing and evidence disposal of the Murrah Building in Oklahoma City exactly two years to the day. Thereafter, later criminal attorneys general, like the infamous Mr. Fast and Furious himself, Eric Holder, built on that legacy. And although that scumbag was actually held in contempt of Congress, he hadn't suffered anything like those who merely refused a subpoena of the so-called January 6th committee today. And that, too, ought to sound kind of like the SS. Which takes us right back to Goring and some of the things he accomplished early on. Like the idea right up front of prohibiting ordinary uniformed police officers from interfering with, uh-oh, peaceful protesters. Well, those weren't called Antifa or BLM 
or even leftist news reporters. No, they were the Nazi brown shirts in those days. And that meant that innocent German citizens had no one to turn to as they were being beaten up by rowdy, young, fascists, fill-in-the-blank folks, totalitarians in waiting, drunk with their newfound power, and quite often drunk with other things. Today, of course, it's not just alcohol. They got all kinds of other wonderful drugs, pharmaceutical and non and the young Nazi toughs, just like today, took full advantage of police leniency to loot shops at will and terrorize Jews or any other undesirables. Whoops, I think the more modern word, thank you, Hitlery, is deplorables. Unfortunate enough to be caught out in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oh yeah, and if you've been paying attention to the spree of killings in, what else, gun-free killing zones, you know that one of the things that the police seem to be ordered to do a lot is stand down and let the, um, well, brown shirts of today regardless of what they might call themselves, go about their killing sprees in the gun-free killing zones completely unimpeded. And your host adds, somewhat sarcastically, but not without a big grain of truth, that makes it easier for their handlers to get away too. And here your host will make one more historical parallel type of an observation, and also note where it is that the modern fascists have improved upon the techniques of those who came before them, the Third Reich. While Antifa, BLM, and all of the pro-abortion writers are very clearly ideologically in line with their public-private partners up the ladder at Big Brother and Big Brother's Ministry of Truth, they certainly put up a pretense of being more at arm's length. That gives them plausible deniability. So, continuing to compare the rise of the Fourth Reich to the Third, back in the early 1930s, Goring then went on to purge the police department, especially in Berlin, of politically unreliable cops and increase the number of sworn troopers. Today, of course, we're seeing that manifested in a lot of ways. Honest cops that are just getting disgusted and quitting or realizing, hey, I can't do my job anymore and they'll probably kill me if I try. And on that score, I guess I've got to ask it. Are there really any honest three-letter agency agents left who don't realize exactly what they're serving? Could they possibly be that stupid? Or do they really think they're on the inside waiting for an opportunity to somehow or other expose what's going on to the unwashed masses? Yeah, sure. Folks, if there was such a thing as an honest BATF agent who actually read the Second Amendment, he'd have to be a blithering idiot not to understand that he's drawing a paycheck to gang rape the very thing that he took an oath to preserve, protect, and defend against enemies like himself. Same thing goes for the FBI, for crying out loud, the Treasury Enforcement Agents and the IRS, and that goes all the way down to the Federal Death Agency and others, too, who are involved in the cover-ups and the mass executions of everybody who gets in the way of Big Brother's police state. Which takes us back to Goring's SS and that parallel today. Soon, jails were overflowing with people taken into protective custody, resulting in the need for what else? Exactly what we're seeing today. Public-private partnerships building prison camps. The birth of the concentration camp system to be. And after compromising the uniform divisions, kind of like what we've seen with the three-piece suit-wearing divisions among the federal police state today, Goring turned his attention to the plainclothes police, which eventually became the state secret police. And you may know the more popular abbreviation, Gestapo. And I know what you're probably thinking. Hey, what we're seeing today, is the FBI more like the SS or the Gestapo? Well, this at least sounds familiar. Goring promptly began using the Gestapo, kind of like Mary Garland is, to silence Hitler's political opponents in Berlin and surrounding areas, and also to enhance his own personal power. Much to his delight, Goring discovered that the old Prussian state police had kept many secret files, kind of like the NSA today, on the private lives of various top officials, including Nazis, which he studied with delight. 
Nowadays, folks, we've got entire public-private socialist media outlets and other three-letter agencies, all of which are doing that and sharing the information. And some of that studying with delight is even being done by AI systems. Right, Gulag? See if this broader summary doesn't sound familiar, too. After Hitler took power, the SA and the Gestapo agents went door-to-door looking for Hitler's enemies, socialist communist trade union leaders. Nowadays, of course, we would say anybody that was a MAGA supporter. And they certainly don't have to go door-to-door. They just look at your socialist media platforms. Who had spoken out against the Nazi party. They were arrested. Some were killed. And shortly thereafter, the Nazi party was the only political party. That's almost true today, especially if you look at what the rhinos and the Republican Party are doing. It's not like we haven't been talking for years about two different wings of that very same bird of prey. Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell have pretty much even dropped the pretense at this point. And when they signed on last week to put a red flag through the heart of the Bill of Rights, pretty much end all private property, but especially that private property once protected by the only explicit declaration in the entire document that says shall not be infringed. Well, I guess you could say America's Gestapo has not only been born, it's been coronated. A couple of more significant events on the timeline here. February 28th, 1933. In our case, it was September the 11th. Maybe that date will ring a bell. The Reichstag fire, later recognized to be a false flag. And the subsequent decree, in our case, it was called the Patriot Act, empowered the new secret police, granting them almost unlimited powers of arrest. In America with a K, if you were decreed to be a terrorist, the same thing was true. And furthermore, they don't need no stinking warrants anymore either. They search and record now and can come back years later and charge you with a crime, ex post facto, which, ah, ironically, was once prohibited by the Constitution, too. But hey, you know the Biden regime has long since quit paying even lip service to that. Well, they do lie about it, of course, but they uh, turn it on its head. The Holocaust Museum summary notes that on February the 10th, 1936, the Nazi Reichstag passed what they call the Gestapo Law, including the following paragraph. Listen to this and let it uh, kind of send a chill up your spine. Neither the instructions nor the affairs of the Gestapo will be open to review by the administrative courts, meaning kind of like Merrick Garland's DOJ, because they make the law, they decide what the law means, if it means anything at all, they're above the law, so there can be no appeal regarding anything that they do. And indeed, the Gestapo became a law unto itself. It was entirely possible, just like what we've seen in the January 6th case, come to think of it, for someone to be arrested, interrogated, and sent to a concentration camp, we call it a gulag nowadays, or the District of Criminal Swamp, for incarceration. Later, it was summary execution. We're not there yet, folks, but you can smell it can't you? They did, of course, execute Ashley Babbitt without any consequences. And without, think about this, it is still true, any outside legal procedure. Used to be called due process back when it existed. Now we get to J6 Committee's Hollywood scripted show trial on primetime TV. And ponder this, folks, a bit of historical summary of that period of time. Certainly fits today, doesn't it? Justice in Hitler's Germany was completely arbitrary, depending upon the whim of the man in power, at least the man pulling the puppet strings of the man supposedly in power, the man who had you in his grip. The legal policy, as proclaimed openly by Hitler and lately by the Biden Fuhrer, was, quote, All means, even if they are not in conformity with existing laws and precedents, are legal if they subserve the will of the Fuhrer. Unquote. And uh, now you know why I've referred to this guy for some time as the Biden Fuhrer. Obviously, this guy's a puppet. He doesn't have a will of his own, but somebody, at least, is pulling those strings. And that somebody makes Adolf look a little bit like a piker, in contrast. And they're using technology that the Third Reich could only dream of. 
I'll wrap up this segment with a quote that should sound familiar, but I'm going to paraphrase it just enough so that it won't be obvious that it isn't the Biden Fuhrer as opposed to the original Adolf Fuhrer. This year, 2022, will go down in history. For the first time, a civilized nation has full gun registration. Oot, if they're not registered, folks, we'll red flag and take them away. Our streets will be safer, our police more efficient, and the world will follow our lead into the future. Unquote, more or less. And by the way, doesn't that sound a lot like something you just heard last week or so? By the way, while I'm paraphrasing, it was Heinrich Hambler who said, any citizens who want to have firearms should join the SS, or now we could say the FBI. Ordinary citizens don't need guns because having guns doesn't serve the state. More importantly, if you've got them, you just might be able to say no. And Big Brother doesn't intend to allow that. We'll pick it up right there when we get back. Back to the second segment now of today's show. I am your host, Mark Call. Sometimes I talk about the news on the show, or even the rule of law, but we're long past that now. And in the first segment, we talked about some elements of what was once a constitutional republic, or at least purported to be so. No, it was never really a democracy. Most ignorant Americans still haven't figured that out. But what it is now is nothing of the sort. Most importantly, the rule of law is essentially destroyed, along with the economy and everything that once built a nation based on the idea of rule of law, not of men, written law as opposed to fiat. Yeah, as we've talked about many, many times on this show, it's important to destroy all the other elements, the pillars of society along with it. The Bible makes a big deal about honest weights and measures, in other words, money that's actually worth something as opposed to, again, nothing but fiat a dishonest weight, and as Americans will soon figure out, it's not worth anywhere close to tomorrow what it might have been yesterday. And history demonstrates, and we talked about the rise of the Third Reich in the last segment, it was preceded by the Weimar German hyperinflation of the 1920s. No coincidence there. Hyperinflation is absolutely corrosive to the entire concept of a civil society and the rule of law. And that's a big part of the reason, your host contends, why Big Brother is so hot to trot and make sure that you're disarmed before you figure that out. By the way, one of the ways you precede the disarmament is to simply price ammunition out of the reach of those who, especially of late, might want a gun to protect themselves from whatever. But they'll never be able to afford to learn how to use it properly. And remember, once all the ammunition is gone, your rifle is nothing but a club anyway. This too bears repeating. Once you realize where all of this is headed, and you know that the intent is to disarm you, inject you, poison you, starve you, steal from you. After all, if you remember the famous line from the Messiah, he said that the devil comes but to steal, to kill, and destroy. And that pretty well describes the swamp critters, doesn't it? And that really does lead me to where I'm going this segment. 
And while I know darn well what story it is that I'm basically going to use to lead off this segment, or at least lead up to, I really wanted to make sure I introduced it properly. Because it's such a big deal, it really needs a bit of background, but not to worry, there's plenty of that today. As you look around a country that is bound and determined to go to hell, figuratively, literally, philosophically, economically, and let's not forget, morally, and thus spiritually especially. And lest you think I'm exaggerating, even in the least, let's begin and work up with just a few of the headlines since the Supreme Court decided, hey, let's try reading that Constitution thing. See what's in there. And here's the real kicker, folks. Yeah, what's not? After the first night of, I'm going to add one word here, you can probably guess which one it is, the first night of satanic rage, we had these headlines before dawn on the weekly Sabbath. Insurrection, said one, Arizona Senate has to be evacuated after pro-murder rioters and teachers breached security there. Chaos in Los Angeles as violent leftists riot over Roe v. Wade being overturned. Here's another one from Seattle where a well-known street preacher was attacked and beaten by a pro-child sacrifice Antifa mob who also destroyed his Bibles. On the disgusting scale, this has got to be pretty high up there, although we're just getting rolling, folks. Radical communist member of the Jihad Squad, Cory Bush, spoke at an infanticide rally. Protesters claim abortion is, quote, an act of love. And remember, folks, love is love, they say. Whether it's old men with little boys, and we saw that in Seattle, and I'm not kidding, we're getting there. Or the FDA loving on pre-kindergarten kids to kill them before they turn six. Or perverts sniffing the hair of little children. And if you're following the progression here, you know bestiality is on the agenda, too. After all, love is love. How about this story? Satanists claim that they're entitled to abortion as a religious right, R-I-T-E. The Satanic Temple issued their statement after the court ruling on Roe v. Wade, claiming that they're recognized by the IRS, and don't you know, that's all that really counts as a religion. And since they consider infanticide, pre- or post-birth, a religious ritual, those procedures must be allowed under federal law, or what now passes for it. Quote, TST members should be permitted a religious exemption to perform the Satanic Temple's religious abortion ritual. And they added that in order to provide these so-called services, quote, we will take steps, including legal action, to ensure our members do not have to endure hindrances to access. And finally, there's this, out of Communist Canada. Justin Trudeau, arguably the love-is-love child of Fidel Castro, and he's proven it daily, wept about women in the United States losing the so-called right to control their own bodies. This is the same guy, of course, who wants to control Canadian women's bodies and everybody else's and inject poison in it at will. Said Trudeau, the news coming out of the United States is horrific. My heart goes out. Ooh, there's a disgusting image, isn't it? To the millions of American women who are now set to lose their legal right to an abortion. I can't imagine, he said, the fear and anger you're feeling right now. Well, some of us can imagine it, folks, because if you've been watching these satanic scumbags, you know where they're headed. But here comes the coup de grace. Quote, no government politician or man should tell a woman what she can and cannot do with her body. Well, full stop. Unless, of course, we decide we want to gang rape you, violate your breasts or your genitalia with our hands or photographic equipment. And, of course, let's not forget, we can stick needles into that body whenever we blankety blank and well feel like it. But he wasn't done. On the lying scale, he added, I want women in Canada to know that we will always stand up for your right to choose. Well, to choose certain things, not others. And let me tip my hand, folks, because this is where we're headed. You can choose death, but don't you dare choose life. 
By Sunday, Michael Snyder, The Economic Collapse blog, recapped a couple more pages of the satanic goings-on. He called it the biggest temper tantrum in the history of the once-free United States. And looking particularly at pro-life organizations, he said the violence over the weekend is just beginning. From this point forward, no pro-life organization, or for that matter, perhaps especially nobody who's pro the author of Scripture and God of the universe, will be safe. Early on Saturday morning, police discovered a pro-life center in a conservative part of the state of Virginia had been attacked. Masked vandals broke windows and put threatening graffiti on the wall of the Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center, saying things like, if abortion ain't safe, you ain't safe. In Colorado, another incident which radicals actually tried to burn the pro-life organization to the ground is being treated as arson after the very same messages coincidentally were sprayed there at the entrance of the Life Choices Clinic in Longmont, a town on the front range of Colorado where your host has actually spent quite a few years. The criminally negligent networks, including not only the namesake but MSNBC, have given endless coverage to the events of January 6th, but ask Snyder poignantly, why are they ignoring what's happening in the rest of the world? I'll accept to glorify it just a bit on occasion. And certainly, at the very least, lend what they probably think of as moral support. Maybe the reason has to do with New York City, where not-so-peaceful protesters vandalized the headquarters of Fox News, even suggesting that, too, should be burned down. And as Michael Snyder points out, hey, they're not even really that conservative. While in Los Angeles, a group of very angry far-left radicals decided to shut down the 110 freeway, and one of them attacked a police officer there with a homemade flamethrower after which the officer was forced to go to the hospital to be treated for his injuries. In Portland, there were violent protests both Friday and Saturday nights. In Washington, peaceful protesters want to burn down the Supreme Court. Well, this is interesting. Reddit users in the anti-capitalist subreddit group called r slash workers strike back, which hasn't been shut down, discuss hunting down Supreme Court justices at places like their churches, maybe homes, but they're probably not there, and Sending them mail bombs. But you know what, folks? We're still working our way up the violence and perversion chain. Alex Jones' sites and news coverage, including Prison Planet and Infowars, had stories like the following. Nightmare bombshell in, where else, the streets of Seattle, where children are paraded with naked men, literally celebrating pride and, well, what else? Perversion. I listened to a lot of his Sunday coverage, and I can certainly sympathize with his anger and disgust and maybe even confusion. Do I show these video clips on TV, or is it too disgusting? You know, don't you folks, that if you even have certain kinds of video in your possession, and it's called pedophilia, the FBI will raid you. But here's being done openly in the streets of Seattle. And as Alex Jones points out, it was so over the top, so disgusting, honestly, I don't think people will believe it unless they see it with their own eyes. But if I show it, then the affiliates will be really upset, and rightfully so. Because, hey, this is pornographic. It shouldn't be displayed on TV or even talked about. Kids might be watching. Well, you know what, folks? They are. And he's got pictures right there in the streets of Seattle. And it's not just naked men twerking their genitalia in front of kids or riding naked on bicycles in front of kids. Or even in some cases, it sounds like parading with kids. And those, he said, were just the milder things, the things he might consider showing. The other stuff, he said he watched it, but no way would I ever show it to anybody else. Things like men openly, and I'm not kidding, folks, and this disgusts me even to say, urinating and defecating in one another's mouth. Because, you know, pride. People cutting themselves and similar kinds of literal disgusting perversion. Just to show kids how real sexuality looks, I guess. No way should this be shown on TV nor be happening anywhere on the streets of America where children 
are, in fact, not only likely to be there, but are. And i got to admit it, after all of that, I did see one video that was linked with the following caption. The poster asks, what better way to say we're not grooming kids than parading down the street in front of them, bare-ass naked, wearing nothing but a mask of a famous cartoon character. From there, like it or not, I need to go to something even more disgusting, arguably one of the biggest whoppers of a speech ever given by somebody even masquerading as the chief executive officer of the once great, once free, once even a rule of law kind of a place, United States of America. So let's go through just a bit of the bullshit, folks. I bleep the word, you know what it was, but I think I'm still being too kind. Fifty years ago, Roe v. Wade was decided it has been the law of the land since then. Read Article 1, you blithering moron. All legislative power in the Constitution is given to the Congress of the United States. The U.S. Supreme Court has no authority to write law. They issue opinions, and no, they are not the law of the land. But of course, in the Biden Fuhrer's United States, there is no law of the land. This landmark case protected woman's right to choose, her right to make intensely personal decisions with their doctor, free from from the interference of politics. There's a Biden whopper for you. When it comes to being free to make personal decisions with your doctor, well, if the doctor makes a decision we don't like, like give you ivermectin, we'll go after him with tongs. But as for the woman, we don't care what the doctor wants. We'll inject you, oh, and your mangy little kids, too, with anything we feel like. Oh, yeah, and we'll muzzle you, too, you little slave, you. It reaffirmed basic principles of equality, that women have the power to control their own destiny. (laughs) And it reinforced a fundamental right of privacy, the right of each of us to choose how to live our lives. (laughs) Well, unless we choose differently for you, you slave you. Now, with Roe gone, let's be very clear. The health and life of women in this nation now at risk. Oh, come on. All right, you get the picture. Of all the stinking, lying, in-your-face whoppers that I've heard in the last year, and there have been a whole hell of a lot of them, folks, that may be one of the stinkiest bits of you-know-what ever forced down the throats of a really gullible American people. Did you take your poison poke? Did you get your DNA modified? Your immune system weakened or even destroyed? Did you get your booster, you slave you? Then your health is almost as much at risk as the babies we want to mass murder. Let's hear just a bit more of the unmitigated BS. I believe Roe v. Wade was the correct decision as a matter of constitutional law and application of the fundamental right to privacy and liberty in matters of family and personal autonomy. Ain't that a hoot, folks? You don't have a right to be free of illegal search and seizure. No, you don't have a right, so far as this senile moron is concerned, to say no to being muzzled, figuratively or literally. And don't you dare think you can resist us by force of arms. You slaves don't most certainly have a right to keep and bear arms. And if you don't like it, well, we'll call you crazy. That's why I signed that bill that says the hell with private property in this nation, too. Now, I'm going to play just one more really brief, I promise, clip from this lying sack of, uh, well, senile criminal perversion, unfortunately, for these few minutes, diapered only at one end. Listen carefully to this, and we'll come back to some aspects if we have time later on. This puppet just finished putting his mark on a bill that he'll call law 
that is as gross of a gang rape of the fundamental, actually written in genuine print, constitutional principles, not just of privacy and the right to control your own destiny, but to use physical force, if necessary, against people like him to do so. And literally, the hell with due process, you slaves, you. So, the Supreme Court last week recognized the 14th Amendment right to that in protecting the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And ponder the irony, folks. They basically told the Supreme Court in the process to go shove it. You say there's a right to keep and bear arms? You found it right there on the Second Amendment? You say there's a right to due process? Yeah, that's right there in the 14th Amendment? Oh, yeah, and that equal protection under the law crap? Well, we're taking them both away. Call it a red flag if you like. Stroke of the pen, law of the land. Kind of cool, even if outright tyrannical. So, with all of that in mind, listen carefully and ponder the irony, the truth that's seeping through here, and the great big lie that's covering it all up. Make no mistake, this decision is a culmination of a deliberate effort over decades to upset balance of our law. It took decades to dumb down the American people. It took decades to convince them that murder is okay and to choose death instead of life. It took decades to undermine the entire Bill of Rights, but we've done it. And it took decades to replace all of that with an in-your-face fake. It's a realization of an extreme ideology and a tragic error by the Supreme Court, in my view. The court has done what it has never done before, expressly take away a constitutional right that is so fundamental to so many Americans. That's my job, damn it! That's why the Communist Chinese Party put me right here, so that I can take away what's left of all your fundamental rights. It's a, it, just, it, it just stuns me. So extreme that doctors will be criminalized for fulfilling their duty to care. Oh, you lying criminal. This is the guy that's forcing doctors to inject people with an untested DNA modification. That now, the truth has finally begun to come out, we know, that's killing millions. I'll say it again. This isn't just evil. This isn't just treason. This is truly satanic. Which leads me, finally, to the piece and to the comments that I really intended to lead off with, but needed to work up to. This comes from LifeSite News. And author John Horvath II. But what really got me to thinking about it was a comment I heard from Owen Schroyer on Sunday afternoon's Alex Jones show. He was reporting live from some events having to do with baby killing, sacrifices to Molech, and outright Satanism in the Austin area. And he made some comments that I thought were basically insightful, but honestly, not quite wrong, but certainly that fell short of the mark. The left, he said, has made abortion about morality. And the problem, the thing they don't want people to realize, is that if abortion is murder, well, it can't be moral anymore, now can it? So they have to prevent people from waking up and realizing that abortion really is murder. And to that end, he suggested, they'll go to the mat. On the other hand, folks, your host disagrees. I think they do realize. As a matter of fact, they're proud of it. Abortion is murder. They love killing kids, and that's the thing that is so shocking to most Americans. Abortion is murder, and what they're doing is they're redefining morality, because death now is moral, and anything that leads to death is good and to be encouraged, and that's precisely what everything that I've been leading in the news up to this point has been making clear, and that includes the Biden fear not only glorifying death, but saying, hey, once we take your gun, away. We can do it to our heart's content, America. Buckle up. 
The LifeSite News article from John Horvat says it this way. The pro-abortion movement has now become so radical, it's even left the radical left feminists behind. And here we go. And I'll probably not be able to resist the uh, desire and the importance of commenting occasionally in line here. The last narrative, he writes, has long been a feminist tale of oppression. For 50 years, the abortion movement has revolved around the myth that it safeguards women's health. And that's kind of tough to sell in a day when they're killing women, men, and children in mass now, isn't it? For this reason, he adds, abortion is expressed in terms of women's bodies with cries of, yeah, the idiotic refrain, my body, my choice. Because you know what, folks? Again, your body, no, it's not your choice. The only choice you have is, hey, death. You can kill kids, but you certainly can't protect your body or your kids, and you don't have any choice except that one. Man, he adds, need not opine, but suddenly a strange new crack has appeared on the abortion movement horizon that disputes this narrative. Medical organizations, advocacy groups, and leftist politicians are changing the rhetoric. They no longer even use the word woman in the abortion debate because the movement has gone woke and is leaving behind feminists who now represent yesterday's revolution. The New York Times, he says, writing it as a stab in the back, and Michael Powell quoted a pro-abortion tweet by the American Civil Liberties Union, sick, that sounded the alarm about the threat of overturning Roe v. Wade. Because the tweet, ironically, failed to mention the only demographic biologically capable of actually having, or at least needing, an abortion. And there I'll interject a bit of the obvious. See how they've painted themselves into a corner by no longer talking about birth mothers or females, given transgender wokeism and breastfeeding beatos? The ACLU tweet reads thusly. Abortion bans disproportionately harm black, indigenous, and other people of color. The LGBTQ plus community, immigrants, young people, those working to make ends meet, people with disabilities, protecting abortion access is an urgent matter of racial and economic justice. The message, writes Horvat, is clear. The abortion movement is now so fused with the avant-garde of today's wokest leftist revolution that it can't be separated from all identity groups. Leftist theory is now gone so mainstream that the affirmation that a person is a woman can't even be tolerated, as everyone must now be forced into the bizarro non-binary world. Why he adds even Planned Parenthood and Nerol that have long written the script in America for the pro-murder of children debate are now having to avoid the W word. They may hold women's marches here and there to impress their grassroots, and even still, occasionally, at least talk about a woman's choice, referring to that past, but now passe, talking point. However, behind the backs of the activists, they're betraying feminists, because, uh-oh, they're not really concerned about females, women, anymore. And you want one more bit of proof? Pro-abortion literature increasingly employs politically correct terms like pregnant people or birthing people to indicate, you know, those people of the feminine persuasion that don't really understand they should have changed their gender, who just might, though, be expecting children. The supposed cause, at least for decades, of the abortion fight, oppressed women, now must be left out which leads one to the suspicion that it really never was the actual cause in the first place. 
why it's gotten so bad that the New York Times article quotes a feminist scholar, a sick, named Professor Stephen Green of North Carolina State University, who questions the wisdom of changing the message in the middle of the fight. He says it alienates the movement's actual feminist base. Quote, activists are adopting symbols and language that are off-putting, not just to people on the right, but to people in the center and even liberals, unquote. John Horvat summarizes it this way, and I think he's on the right track. Quote, the left no longer hides its goals. This process is directed against God, his law, and the church. Uh, okay, you know the problem I have with uh, the wrong church. If you've heard me talk about it the way scripture does, you're familiar with the term the whore church. Paul, or Shaul, remember, uses the phrase, another Jesus, whom we have not preached, to make almost an identical point. But John Horvath II is on the right track. I will suggest what we really need to return to is Scripture as actually written, as opposed to what men have said for, oh, 17 centuries or more now that he should have written, if he was actually as smart as they think they are. Which, folks, helps explain exactly how we got here and how things are now literally to the point where the wheels have come off the wagons on the road to hell. Let me summarize it this way, as I have often done, especially of late. We have a choice. Scripture says, I have laid before you this day life and blessing, death and cursing. So choose life that you and your children might live. So there it is. And let me make it just as clear as I possibly can, and almost as clear as he has been. The choice is between life or death. Scripture tells us over and over, but especially there in Deuteronomy chapter 30, to choose life. Yeshua says in John 10, 10, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Big Brother says, you have no choice except to choose death. That's what Roe v. Wade is about. That's why we want to take away your guns, take away your God, and make darn sure that we control everything that you speak and are even allowed to think. The choice really is choose life or choose death. And Big Brother has taken off the gloves. They're no longer even hiding it, folks. What they are talking about, what they are pushing down your children's throats, your throats, what they are mandating at the point of a gun is the choice, the only choice that Satan has ever wanted to allow, the choice of death. So let's wrap up with the counterpoint. As I've already pointed out, the Creator has always given us the choice, that two-word summary of the entire Bible, choose life. On this show, we've talked repeatedly, and for years now, about the elements in that, including what we have to do up front, which is to come out of her. Don't participate in the sins so that you don't partake of the plagues. And we can still do that. It's part of the choice of law, the choice of life. Yeah, they intend to make it as difficult as humanly or satanically possible. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. You betcha it's a narrow path and few there be that find it. But the rules have been written in the book for us all along. And he even says, hey, it's not too hard for you. You can do it. All we've got to do is walk it, read it, study it, show yourselves approved, and make darn sure that you know who you serve. Like it or not, this has always been a spiritual battle, but it's going to get very, very physical as well. <laughs>